patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylosky. This is episode 46 with our special guest today, Wesley Hunt. I hope you all had a fantastic 4th of July weekend celebrating this country's 245th birthday. As a kind reminder, if you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe and share this show with your friends and family. I appreciate all of your support, and I really appreciate all of you tuning in today. I'm going to introduce our special guest today, Wesley Hunt. Wesley is a Houston native and was born and raised there in a military family and is a proud alumnus of St. John's School. Upon graduation from St. John's, he accepted an appointment to the U.S. Military Academy in West Point, New York. In 2004, he received his commission in the U.S. Army and graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in Leadership and Management with a field of study in Mechanical Engineering. After West Point, Wesley spent eight years in the Army as an Aviation Branch Officer and AH-64D Apache Longbow Helicopter Pilot. His service included one combat deployment to Iraq and two deployments to Saudi Arabia, where he served as a diplomatic liaison officer. While in Saudi Arabia, Wesley served as a liaison officer representing the U.S. government in missions involving the Royal Saudi Land Forces Aviation Corps. Upon completion of his military service and honorable discharge as a captain, Wesley attended Cornell University and earned a Master of Business Administration and a Master of Public Administration, as well as a Master of Industrial and Labor Relations. In 2020, he ran as the Republican candidate for Texas 7th Congressional District against Lizzie Fletcher. The 7th Congressional District is based in West uh, of uh, western part of Houston, including the Energy Corridor. And I am very, very excited to have him here today. He's still active in his local community. Just a wonderful guy to talk to and to work with. Wesley, thank you so much for coming on to Friends and Fellow Citizens. Happy to be here. Happy to be here, man. Thank you for having me on. First of all, it's great to connect with you again. I'm really excited for today's conversation Let's dive right in. Tell us a bit about your background and about how you came to be who you are today. Sure. Well, that's an easy question for me because really it's come from a family background of just military people. Um, uh, my dad did 23 years in the Army. He retired as a lieutenant colonel. Uh, my sister, who was 10 years older than me, went to West Point in our family first, and she went on to do 23 years of active duty as a military intelligence officer. Uh, I came after her, uh, also went to West Point, did eight years active duty as an Apache helicopter pilot, most fun I ever had in my life. Basically, I peaked out at like 25 when I was flying combat missions in Baghdad. And it's just been downhill ever since. Nothing is that exhilarating. Uh, but I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but uh, as I, I did one tour of duty, flew 55 combat air missions in Baghdad, and then did two tours of duty 
in Saudi Arabia, the diplomatic liaison officer, eight years total, fascinating time, really one of the best times of my life because that's when I realized just how amazing this country really is. Uh, my brother, who was uh, 10 months younger than me, who was also doing a podcast with me that we started, it's called, it's called In the Hunt. Uh, he is also a West Point graduate. He went on to do five years in the Navy, so he cross-commissioned from West Point into the Navy, which is a pretty rare thing, but pretty smart because he got to be stationed in San Diego, California, while I was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas. So we, we all know who won that battle right there. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's a good guy, best friend, and uh, we've done a few endeavors together. So there's about 60, 60 years worth of military service just in my immediate family. So he asked how I got into this whole thing. I remember uh, driving my sister up to West Point. I was about seven years old. And so when you see West Point at seven, the cadets walking around, tanks, helicopters everywhere, you're like, yeah, okay, sign me up. I was kind of brainwashed at like a young age. I think that's how my brother and I uh, got into it. Uh, but really, it's just an honor to serve this country. Uh, and I think part of the motivation for me to run for Congress and to continue to serve this country is because of the attitude that I have and what's in my DNA as a human being to find ways to serve this country. This is kind of what we do. It's kind of who we are. And I view Congress as just an extension of that. Wonderful, wonderful story. I remember you telling that story Maybe. to the campaign staff. You, you and- heard that probably 15 times. How was it? <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I was counting. I was counting how many times he's going to finally get it right. <laughs> Today was the day. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. I mean, you mentioned the Apache helicopters, you mentioned the 60 years. I mean, that's just incredible. And I want to ask you, just kind of on the public service side, because you know, in on, on this show, we talk a lot about what public service means. And you know, how people can get into that because sometimes it, at least from my perspective it feels like you kind of ha- need to have that like bug within you you know like that innate public service nature uh, what is, what is your perspective on you know how public service has become such a big part of your life and why you've decided to really st- you know, serve in a different capacity in this case yeah Yeah, so, you know, when you finish West Point, you have a five-year military commitment that's mandatory. So West Point is monetarily free, uh, but you you do have to serve after that. And then if you're a pilot like me, you incur an additional two years, and then I did one more year after that commitment. So eight years total. And I realized that I wasn't going to spend the rest of my life in the military, so I went on to, you know, go to grad school, do that kind of stuff. But the kind of person that has the mentality and the kind of family that has the mentality that we have to go into the military, to all deploy to a foreign land in a combat zone, to all have me personally having missions in a hot LZ, these these kinds of things, the person that chooses to go this route at 18 years old, you, it's just how we're built. It's how we're made. It's who we are. I'm not saying that you have to go be an Apache pilot to go figure out how to get into Congress, how to serve this country. Not what I'm saying at all. Uh, It takes all walks of life and all backgrounds and all people. But what I am saying is I think we're a unique set of people that realize that sacrifice is how we get to the next generation in a positive way. And we've been doing this for generation after generation after generation. And I will also say that something that I carry with me every day is the fact that 14 of my West Point classmates are no longer with us. 
And I believe in bringing them up and I believe in saying their names and I believe in talking about them uh, because I believe that in this world and in this universe, you die twice. The first time you die physically and the last time somebody mentions your name. And I feel like as long as we keep mentioning their name, as long as we keep continuing to serve in their honor and in their stead, since they paid the sacrifice for us to continue to live in a free country, that's all the motivation that I need to get up in the morning and continue to serve. You know, uh, you you shared about these 14 brave soldiers whom you think about a lot. And I remember you mentioning how you think about them every single day, you know, as during your run and during your life. So what kinds of stories can you think you can share about your your experience in the military and specifically maybe about the the kinds of lessons that you learned, you know, as a soldier, as now a, a husband and father. I mean, what sort of lessons have carried on through your life uh, as you kind of reflect on your military career and uh, and time as serving for our country? Well, there are no. There, one thing I've learned is there are no atheists in foxholes. So when you're getting shot at, everyone believes in God. That's that, 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 that's the first thing that I realized, and. The other thing that I realized that in the military and in the army, when you're getting shot at, politics don't matter. No one cares. No one cares why you're there. No one cares who sent you there. No one cares what party the president is or the House or the Senate. No one cares. The only thing that you care about is making sure that you do your job so that the man or the woman to your left and to your right or on the ground gets back home to hug their kid to say hi to their mom again. That's all you care about. And so when you talk about a band of brothers and sisters, when you talk about that camaraderie and you talk about that group of people, it's a very unique place and a very unique organization within our country to where people from all walks of life, from all over the country, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different levels of education, different ranks. We have one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to do what our country asks us to do and to defend this country against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And based on what that interpretation is of our government, we are the instrument to do that. So you have to put everything aside, put all your feelings, your emotions, your political leanings, your, your biases, everything, your schemas, everything that you have, because you have to go achieve a mission. And if we're not on the same page, then somebody can die. Full stop. So this is where, for me, you know, we need more of that attitude, in my opinion, in Congress. And like I said, uh, I am a politician. So look, I am partisan. I am a Republican. I've picked five. I understand that. But it's the idea of understanding that our country is most important. And what are we doing to further our interest to preserve freedom for our future posterity? That's the argument that I think can always be made for military people. And when I meet somebody that's form- that formally served, we can have a conversation uh, particularly a congressman or woman, and then I hear they're a Democrat, and I get I'm like well, I'm sorry to hear that, and then and then we can actually have a serious conversation about okay now that now that we've got that out the way, where did you serve? What did you do? Who did you know? What year group were you? We had this instant camaraderie aside from political leanings that I think is really important to have. Exactly, and that's exactly. The, that's really literally the last place I feel like in this country in the that is the military. Well, that stuff goes out the window and you have to get to know the individual that you are going to fight next to. And that supersedes anything else. Um, And that's the kind of attitude that people like me have. And that's why I served. 
And everybody doesn't have that. I get it. We're kind of special. But I'm proud to say that that I'm definitely in that group. Yeah, that's that's so funny. Especially, uh, I I love when you said, "All right, let's get this out of the way real quick, and then we'll move on to the <laughs> to the best stuff out there." The camar- camaraderie is really something. I I feel like that's also a, the lack of camaraderie in Congress is really a big issue, and I and maybe that's something that you see as well. Because when you see how members fly in on Monday night or something, and then they leave on Thursday. I mean, how much time? And not to mention all the Democrat lunches and the Republican lunches and all this kind of stuff. I mean, how much time you really have to to get to know Chris from the other side of the aisle? It's just not going to even be possible. So I, I'm really glad you brought up camaraderie, and I think this is a good transition into the uh, the campaign and some some of these national security issues that we're dealing with. Because you know, I think about the the role of the military, and I and I looked on look on uh, my, my life, you know, I'm a young guy, but a lot has happened <laughs> since I was born. Um, yeah, and, yes, <laughs> that's right. And I mean, uh, I, I reflect on, you know, nine 11, I reflect on the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan and, uh, the pullout, but then think about the ISIS and now we're thinking at, um, about China, Russia, and just all kinds of things, you know, that I, it took me some time to, to process. So, Tell us a bit about the campaign in Texas Seventh District and some of the things that you took away from it. Yeah, um, it's kind. Of, I mean, this is at least at least people shoot at you, but it's not with like real bullets this time. So it's still, but it's still, still pretty rough. Right? Right. <laughs> uh, it's not. It's not that scary. Trust me. <laughs> uh, it's kind of. It's. It's. Um, I, I chose to run here. I'm from Houston. Um, born and raised here in Houston, actually kind of grew up in Northwest Houston, but went to high school right here in the heart of the district. So I know it, I know it very well. And the previous congressman prior uh, prior to our current congresswoman, it, it was George H. W. Bush, Bill Archer, a guy named John Coberson, all Republicans. And then in 2018, it flipped to to Democrat hands. And as you just put it, this is the energy corridor, the energy capital of the world, energy jobs. And look, I'm all I'm all about sustainability. I'm all about um, reducing the globe's carbon footprint. But you're, but you're really not going to get there without us under any capacity. I mean, everything that we use, everything that we that that everything that we you know tr- uh, transport, everything that we transfer, everything us talking, the microphone that you're speaking into, that's fossil fuels. The computer that I'm speaking on, that's fossil fuels or a byproduct of. Um, um, the planes that we fly on, uh, the helicopter that I flew in Baghdad. I'm sorry, but there's no there's no solar version of the Apache yet. There's not going to be one for the foreseeable future. And so these are the kinds of things that I feel like you know you have one side that literally is trying to kill the oil and gas industry without understanding the concepts and the bridges that it's going to take for us to get to a sustainable, abundant fuel source for the entire world, not just the United States. Um, and I think there's just one side that's trying to kill our industry and one side that wasn't, which really got me in immediately once I saw that this district had gone into Democrat hands. And I was under the impression that with hard work, determination, the right candidate, the right place at the right time, we have an opportunity here to get this district back. Now, as you know, we came up a little bit short, um, but that's okay because that's one thing that I learned at West Point a long time ago. You don't always get what you want. You don't always win the first time, but you also never quit. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a special operations helicopter unit, um, and we call them the Night Stalkers, and their motto is Night Stalkers Don't Quit. 
And I, I keep that with me for the rest of my life. And, and even though I was never a Night Stalker, I have a lot of friends that I have a lot of friends who were. And one passed away. And Night Stalkers Don't Quit is actually on his headstone. Right. It's it's just it, 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 in Arlington. So you, you, I mean, you could see it. Night Stalkers Don't Quit. So when I think about that, that's why I'm running again. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> this time we're going to learn from we're learn a few things. We're going to learn from some past mistakes. Um, in Texas, we're getting two new congressional districts and we are redistricting every seat in the state. And I think we'll be able to find a place to land that's going to be favorable to our terms. But running for Congress every day, it's a job. You know, it's a lot of phone calls. It's a lot of door knocking. It's a lot, it's a lot of communicating. It's a lot of meetings, a lot of dinners, a lot of lunches. And I found it to be one of the most gratifying things I've ever done in my entire life because there's nothing you should be tired of than to walk into a room full of people who are there to support you because they think that you're the person that's going to lead them for the future and not just them because a lot of them are older, but their children and their grandchildren. They are trusting the future of their posterity in your hands. And so that's why running for Congress for me was really a gratifying experience. It was a hard, it, it was hard work. It was a really tough loss. I don't lose much. So this was, this was really a real kick, a real kick in the butt for me, but I learned a lot. I made a lot of headway and I'm, I've learned from those mistakes. I've learned from that, from the past two years and my last experience. And I tell you what, it's made me a better person today. Well, that's a really wonderful sharing that you provided for myself and for the audience. And I have a question about this aspect of learning from you know, one's experiences, because that's a central part of what you said. It seems nowadays, you know, a lot of people, when things don't go their way, they just complain. And that's a big problem, because it, it doesn't really help anybody, does it? So... In your capacity running for Congress, how important was it to make it a two-way street between yourself and the voters in terms of listening to what they're saying about the concerns in the district and also being able to share uh, about your vision for how that congressional district could be better? Yeah, well, that's why God gave you two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, and, and one mouth supposed to use everything twice as much as you talk. And that's why it's really important to keep in mind that even as a politician, we always want to talk and tell people what what, what you want to do and how you want to change things. But really, you should be listening twice as much. And I tell you what, these people are going to tell you all about it. And so you have a choice. Either you're going to get combative about it and get upset or you're going to listen. And the one thing that I've realized is that you're not going to always agree, but you got to listen because you might learn something. Now I have a pretty good idea on what my platform looks like. I have a pretty good on what pretty good idea on what my vision for the for the for the country is, what my vision for the district is. But it's my job to convince fifty point zero one percent of the population in this district that I'm your guy. Now, last time we came up a little bit short of that number. Literally, literally, if forty nine point nine 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 percent of the people don't vote for you, you win. So you have to be very comfortable with understanding that this is not a popularity contest. Half the people are not going to like you. If you are successful, really wildly successful, 40% of the people are not going to vote for you. So coming up for somebody and in our society where we want everyone to like us, we want everybody to like us so much that we surround ourselves with people that think like us, 
because God forbid we surround ourselves with somebody that doesn't like us or doesn't agree with us. So you have to have some thick skin. You have to listen a lot. But also, most importantly, don't ever give up your values. Listen, understand, seek to understand, but don't forget who you are. Don't forget what you stand for. And don't forget what you plan on representing for the group of people that are going to vote for you to go represent them in Washington. On the campaign trail, there's so many people involved in just running a campaign. Everyone, the top staffers, the uh, the field representatives, uh, communications, press, interns, you name it. A lot of people are involved in this operation. What have you learned from the staff on your campaign? How valuable are they to the overall democratic process that we have here in our nation? I wish everyone would understand more about how politics works in general and about how campaigns work in general. Because I realized that even I was quite ignorant to it until I got involved in it, saw the layers, saw the steps. And the reason why I wish, and hopefully I could do this as well, to just keep people more informed, and hopefully this podcast does this, does this too. And that is, see, everyone sees the, the principal. They see the congressman or woman. They see the person that's actually running. They see the actual candidate. And, and then, then people think, well, if I can't be the candidate, then I don't want to do anything at all. And what people don't realize is that there is some there is a place for somebody in a camp for everybody in a campaign. If you're a good writer, we need you. If you like to walk and knock on doors and talk to people, we need you. If you're a social media person, we need you. If you're if you're a behind behind the doors, you know, the behind the scenes kind of guy or kind of gal, we need you. And if people were informed as to how many layers and how many jobs there were available in a campaign, then, then we would have more people involved in a civic process. People immediately give up and they're like, well, I, I'll never run for Congress. Great. I guarantee you, you could find a spot using your skill set on a campaign to help a cause and help somebody win. And so for me, it was literally piecing together a team. It's like, it's like, it's like getting on a plane and taking off and then somehow figuring out how to put the landing gear together to land it later. Because I didn't really necessarily know what the ins and outs were. And I find it really funny that I get calls almost every other day from people that want to run for office. And they say, well, how would you how would you do it? Well, what would you do? What's the, and part of me is just like, I can't – you got to go do it. I don't know. You just have to go do it. You know. Um, but now you, you figure out the parts of it. You figure out the fundraising. You figure out the volunteer part. You figure out – the door knocking piece and the outreach and the social media piece and the earned media piece and telling your story in, a, in an efficient and captivating way. And, and then how you can relate that to other people you get to learn all this stuff kind of on the fly. But once you get it down, as we had it down toward the end, we're a pretty well-oiled machine. My argument here is this for anybody that's watching and that's make sure that don't give up because there's just this one thing that you think you can do for the campaign, but since you can't do it, there's nothing that your skill set is right for. Trust me, trust me, there is something that you can do on the campaign. So get actively involved and most importantly, get actively involved behind a person or a campaign or an idea that you're passionate about. Because once you're passionate about it, then you will find a way to make it happen. Wonderful advice. And uh, I, I hope that you didn't have to uh, create a, any landing gear for the Apache helicopter. Oh, no, so no, you're no, flying. No, 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 no. <laughs> that would have, um, I, 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 I would have read that somewhere in the paper. Anyway, Absolutely. I'm if, on the if that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, all right. Well, I want to get into just a few national security issues here. You know, the things that obviously are affecting not just the military, but really our nation as a whole. Uh, I'm actually recording right now from Vegas, and I actually went to the Atomic Testing Museum, which is actually a really great oh, cool. museum. And uh, it's just awesome. It's got great stuff. You learn a lot about Nevada. It's not just about gambling. It's about, but it's also, in a way, it's about gambling, about national security too, which is uh, kind of the whole point. Uh, but uh, Wesley, I want to ask you, kind of, when you're looking at the national security landscape, obviously you were on the campaign trail. You still keep up with what's happening. You're still on on, on TV and talking talk about all the different kinds of issues. What do you think are the top three national security issues that you have? witnessed uh, or that you believe are super, super important uh, facing our country today? The top three, I would say, are China, China, and China. Jokingly, but actually quite seriously. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, If I I have to say more than China, uh, the the biggest national security, number one, cyber. China, number one. uh, Number uh, number two is cybersecurity, which is, you guessed it, China, Russia, other other enemies of of our of our of our state, and then lastly, I would say border security is that is that, is actually a, a big issue for us if we're, if we're talking about keeping our country safe. So, and the reason why I say China is because we're going to see what happened with this whole COVID nineteen thing, whole coronavirus issue, but but it's getting more and more clear that these that that this country is using biotech to influence the world. Now, again, we're still waiting for the formal investigation to reveal this, but I mean, COVID-19 coronavirus, coronavirus or the Wuhan virus was, it came out of a Wuhan lab in China. So I don't know, call me, call me crazy. Um, so so if, if we're talking about just what that virus did, not just to the US, to, to the US, but to the entire world, this is an issue. The other thing is cybersecurity, as I brought up, cybersecurity and also the stealing of our intellectual property. The biggest culprit amongst many, but the biggest culprit there is also China. When I talk about the border, securing the border has way more to do than just how do we keep how do we build a wall and Mexico pay for it and keep people from the from south of the border from coming into our country. No, 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 no. It's a national security issue. Because we as a sovereign nation need to know who and what is coming in and out of our country at all times. If we can't do that simple task, then how can we keep our citizens safe? The number one role of the federal government is to keep our citizens safe. Number one, it's not to educate. It's not to cut checks. It's not to spend more money. It's not on health care. The number one role is to keep us safe. And if we don't know who's crossing the border, then we are failing miserably at that point. This is not a Republican talking point. This is an issue of national security. Those are my top three. I can go on and on and on. Um, but I think today, and this might change tomorrow, but today, those are our top three. Absolutely. And a question about you know our military readiness for in China. Obviously, we're dealing with a very different kind of battlefield. We're dealing with many different kinds of battlefields, I would say. You know, the cyber realm, that's a unique battlefield that we were not really talking about a whole lot during Iraq or during Afghanistan. We were, this is a new area where Cybercom and other agencies really need to be involved. What kind of roles do you see the U.S. military playing when it comes to 
countering the PLA's military because we're seeing. Oh, I saw a staggering number, a staggering stat where the you know, the Chinese Navy they they don't have this the kinds of ships that we do, but it's we're, we're outnumbered, right? But we're outnumbered on terms of numbers of ships. Right, right. So, well, what kind of roles do you see the military play? You know, as we kind of head into this decade and into a new kind of some some new territory when it comes to dealing with China on these national security issues. I I actually don't see it, I I don't see us getting into a kinetic getting involved in kinetic operations with China. I think that's a, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Um, I, this is an international world. This is, a, it is international commerce. Us getting in a war with China would be mutually assured destruction for the entire world at the end of the day. I don't think that's what we have to worry about. What we do have to worry about, however, is making sure that we stay on the tip of the spear in terms of technological advances when it comes to our aircraft, to our Navy, to our training across the board, because that's what serves as the biggest deterrent. Okay, Whoever has the biggest stick, whoever has the biggest hammer, that's the deterrent. And so as long as we stay on the cutting edge of that, I think we're going to be fine. We are the best trained. We spend the most on defense more than the next seven countries combined. I think we got that covered. And by the way, that doesn't bother me. I like that. Because, again, that means we're staying ahead of the curve from a military and tactical standpoint, and we are the pinnacle of the world there. That's how we stay there. I'm sorry. People don't want to hear this, but we are the big dog on the food chain because we have the biggest gun and we have the most of them. If you like the safety that we have right now, no one's going to invade us as long as we continue to invest in our military and invest in technology for the future. Now, everybody wants to make fun of Space Force because even I kind of did because it's kind of a funny name. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. Um, but the last administration actually right about Space Force and about cybersecurity. That's the next and final frontier. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to quote Star Trek. But it, <laughs> but it is, it is kind of the next and final frontier. And that is, how are we going to compete with these other countries, particularly what we just saw with that pipeline here in the, here in the, here in the U.S. that was hacked by Russia, and we know this, and what we see with China stealing our IP. How are we staying ahead of them to prevent them from doing that as well? And so this is where for us spending, spending on defense is really important to me. And we must keep doing it because this is what keeps us safe. It goes back to the number one role of our, of our, of our, of our government, of our federal government. That's to keep us safe. Absolutely. Well, we definitely want to make sure that all of our Space Force um, personnel all uh, get the, you know, um, what is it? Uh, uh, may the force be with you. We need to make right. sure. We- <laughs> Uh, maybe a message from the president uh, with that message would be kind of yeah. cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, by the way, I I would love to have you record. Like, uh, it'd be great to see a message of you. You know, on one of those. Uh, you know, I I saw. I went to the rewards resorts world in here in Vegas. It's a new brand new oh. hotel. They got this huge LED screen. I would love to see your message about the U.S. military there in Beijing or something to broadcast <laughs> it right right to the Forbidden Palace. <laughs> 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 uh, I would happily endorse that. Xi Jinping would disagree, but I don't care. Yeah, he would. Right. He would. <laughs> I don't care. I have free speech here. You know, technically, in his in his authoritarian state, he might not have so much free speech over there at this time. <laughs> he, he does. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, but fantastic. Well, I want to now move a little bit into kind of really the central 
pillar of this episode today, which is, you know, why Congress needs more veterans. And I, and one of the reasons why I decided to jump on your campaign, Wesley, is you deliver a really powerful message about this. Because when I see the kinds of things that are happening in Congress at this time, when you have uh, a lack of leadership, you have people who, for whatever reason, I get that they have their own way of voting and everything, but there's kind of there's some larger things that need to be dealt with, you know, and not just the kind of back and forth between witnesses or with other members. There's a lot that's happening right now when it comes to this this deterioration of institutions and of some kind of civility and discipline in in Congress from from my perspective. What are you kind of seeing right now as kind of the biggest issues that are facing Congress as an institution and maybe how your campaign and your platform could help address that given your experience serving in the United States military? It makes it very difficult in times right now when you have a faction of Congress and a faction of this country that literally doesn't believe that America is good. Now, it ain't the Republican side, by the way. So if you're going into conversations and, and there are groups of people that believe that currently, as we live and breathe, like today, like in 2021, that America is not worth fighting for anymore. That America, America as a whole, our laws, our systems, everything that we do live and breathe is literally systemically racist no matter what. That just because, just because, just because of the color of your skin, you are inherently racist against somebody else without understanding your background, where, where you came from, who you're married to, who your parents are, where they, maybe you I don't know, without understanding the individual, literally just based on the way you look, you're a racist. That to me is the problem that we see right now with all the division. If tw- 10, 15, 20 years ago, we, we could all agree that America was good. In fact, America was as good as it gets. Yes, we have a checkered past. Yes, we've had some issues in the past. Of course we had. My great-great-grandfather was a slave, but his great-great-grandson will someday be a congressman. What are we talking about here? I am in the business of talking more about the progress that we've made over time and how to refine it and get, and get it better because this place is inherently a good place with good intentions. That's where I come from. If you're trying to to explain this to a group of people that inherently disagrees, like, for example, they inherently think that all police are bad, all of them. They're all so bad that we want to defund them, all of them. Not a few bad actors here and there, not the fact that these people get up and, and try to protect and service every day and risk their lives every single day. Oh, no, 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 they're all bad. This is where we're seeing a lot of the clash. Because we can't even agree that America is a good place and a good place to be. When I spent two years in Saudi Arabia, I left there in 2012. And when I left there, women did not have the right to drive. Half the population did not have the right to operate a motor vehicle. That's unacceptable. Now, now I'm not saying that we don't have our issues and we don't have our problems, but that's what's happening in other parts of the world. In certain parts of the world that I lived in, there were still public beheadings based on Sharia law that still exists today. In Russia, if you're gay, you might get thrown off a building. It's happening today. 
And so my campaign and what I'm about is how do we get over all of the optics and the way you look and the color of your skin? And we start having conversations about the content of each individual person's character. How do we distill all of this down to the individual American? And we are all Americans first. That's it. And if you don't see it that way, then we have a problem. And the one thing that I always tell people is I don't, I, I don't even call myself African-American. I'm a black guy. I'm an American who's black. I, I actually like black dude better. Why? Because I am an American of African descent. But I'm an American because I'm somebody that's willing to die for this country regardless of what you look like. And by the way, 14 of my West Point classmates that died, they were all white. But they didn't die for white people or black people or Hispanic people or Asian. They died for Americans. So until we can get that message to everybody else to understand that we are starting from America is good, we're going to have a problem. But that's why I'm here and that's why I'm running. Because I think people like me have an opportunity to educate those to get people to where we have that baseline understanding of this country. And just like I said, we could then hash out our differences and where we view our political party. But then after that, let's have a conversation about how we're going to make our country better. I think you absolutely nailed it, especially when you were you were mentioning how different other cultures were. I mean, we throw around the expression first world problems a lot, but it's actually a real thing. When we, it really no is way. like you know, that. That's why I don't throw it out around as 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 like a, a gag word anymore. You know, because it really is. It really is happening. It's the more the more I'm seeing what's happening in politics and how people think and act and everything, the more it becomes real. We we have people right now willing to sacrifice their lives to get into this country south of the border. They are literally sacrificing their lives. They are literally throwing children over walls to get into this country. And I'm sorry, you don't want to stand for the national anthem? Oh, okay. Okay. And again, I don't mean to get too political, but I mean, this is a lack of perspective that we have. Yes, we have some faults. Yes, we have some issues. Do you understand that 99% of the world want nothing more than to be an American? We want to talk about privilege? That's your privilege. You were born here. Now figure the rest out. That's my take on it. We both won a lottery when we were both born, Wesley. That's right. Right here in this country. On the great seal of the United States, there's an eagle with arrows and an olive branch. We're fighting for peace, but we are ready to defend freedom and prosperity when we need to. That symbol carries so much more meaning than more people can ever imagine. It means something to a person born in America, American family, American generations. That's my feeling on that. And when we see politics just seeping into everything, into sports, into entertainment, and food, and everywhere. Where is the line here? Where do we draw the line between civil discourse 
in places and times when we should be having these conversations. And insanity. I mean, it's just insane how there's people who want to put politics everywhere. And yet we can't even agree as much anymore about how inherently green America is. Wesley, what are your thoughts about these kinds of issues and the, the politicization that's just seeping in, infecting everything that makes up American culture and American life? Yeah, so that eagle, that, that eagle, I believe is, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's 13 arrows, right? Yes, that's correct. Arrows and an olive branch. Thirteen arrows represent thirteen original colonies. The olive branch is the idea of of we will always we will always I basically will always strive for peace, but always be prepared for war. Right, like like that's kind of the whole point of this country. And, and then I believe the banner the banner above it, the banner above the eagle is e pluribus e pluribus unum of many one. Again, I'm an American first. There's 50 states. We have 13 original colonies. I mean, but, but guess what? Of all of this, of all the races, colors, creeds, religious background, there's only one America. Only place in the world, by the way, that's like this. Only place in the world. So that's what that eagle means to me. That's what those arrows, that's what that, that's what the olive branch means to me. And that's we should always seek to find peace amongst our fellow citizens. But those arrows are for the enemies. And by the way, if you're an American, you're not the enemy. So stop trying to make other Americans the enemy. Just because somebody disagrees with you politically, that does not make them the enemy. We're all American first. See, we're forgetting this. And we need to have subtle reminders as to why we are like this and how we got here and how we need to continue to teach this to the next generation because that's how we've made so much progress in such a short period of time. And so that eagle, that olive branch, and those arrows, that's the very foundation of this country. There's no other country like it. Amen. Well, I want to now I'm going to delve into one final question. And you, know, you mentioned all these kinds of things. You mentioned about being out of many one, not, not one out of many, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and as we kind of think about you know, the kind of most important issues, uh, there's, it's kind of a two part question, but number one is what are a couple of the most important issues do you think are facing American veterans nowadays that we have not addressed or have, we haven't addressed enough. And number two, how do we get more veterans for any veterans who are interested in running for office? How do we encourage them and have people support them in their run for Congress? Yeah, biggest issue, the biggest issue that's facing us right now is um, suicide prevention, I think. I mean, we're losing so many veterans per day um, because of suicide and because of mental health. I mean, we, we, we send our daughters and sons across the pond to go do our country's biddings. We've got to take care of them in, in the long run. Um, so there's lots of organizations out there. Um, there's one that I actually just participated with. It's called Creativets, C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E-T-S. What they do is they allow veterans to write songs with country singers. Uh, it's kind of a cathartic kind of, kind of mental health type way to heal through music. And I had the awesome honor two weeks ago to write a song with Randy Rogers down here in Texas. It was actually pretty cool. 
Um, but, but stuff like that to help out the mental health of our veterans or what, or what we need. And by the way, we don't need to do it through the government. We need to work with the public, with the private sector to get it done. Private public partnerships. If the government's doing something solely and holistically, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be bureaucratic. It's not going to be efficient. And people aren't motivated by the same reasons. We have got to get the private sector involved in solving these issues with our veterans. The example that I always give is SpaceX. Look, NASA was great, but NASA was cumbersome. It was onerous. It was redundant. It was a, it, we, we, we spent a lot of money. And the next thing you know, within the next five years, we're going to be on Mars because of Elon Musk. We'll go figure. It's about how can we empower the private sector to help out the public sector. It's, it's, a, it's the marrying of the two. Not big government. It's empowering the private sector. That's why America is so amazing. The government just doesn't swoop in and take care of everything and take a hold of everything and all of our resources and all of our intellectual property. We work with the private sector to innovate. Let's let, let's keep doing that. I don't want to stop doing that. Um, how can we encourage veterans to run for office? Let me tell you, a big part of the reason why I'm here is because of Dan Crenshaw. I have gotten countless phone calls and countless emails from people that have seen me on Fox, seen me run. They reach out to me on LinkedIn. They're like, how can I get involved? How can I run? Like once every two or three days, I get a call or an email from somebody saying, I'm interested in running for something. How can I do it? All the time. And so that's kind of the remedy is is one begats two, two begats four, four begats eight, eight, 16, and then 32 and so on, 64 and so forth and so forth. Okay. And once we start to duplicate that and we get we have examples of what veterans can do when they get up there and lead as we led in combat, people are going to just jump on board with that. And so leaders lead from the front. So, like, for example, if you're put in charge of, I don't know, the border wall or the border security, you don't show up. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm, the, I'm not. I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but like you know, you put in charge of something, you go be an example. You go be in charge of it. That's the that's the military mentality. I think the example that people like Dan, myself, August Fluger down here in Texas, and many other veterans across the board, Adam Kinzinger, a bunch of guys, we see that we see these these, these men and women get into the fray, and then others say, "Well, okay, I can do that too." Dan Crenshaw ran the district just north of me two years before I ran, and he was inspirational. And I was like, okay, how can I – I want I, – I, I, I think he needs some help. And he, and, he, and he was a key factor in me getting into the fray. That's how we do it. Fantastic. I, I want to end uh, – I, I think the other thing that we can also – the other way we can add to um, to encourage more veterans is to make that – incredible ad that you, you <laughs> Dan Crenshaw, and I, you, reloaded, Wesley, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let you get away with this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to include the, the video in the description. Cause uh, I, I, I loved it. I loved that ad that you made with Dan and with some other candidates too. Uh, some, um, some others are in Congress already. Fluger, uh, Tony Gonzalez, some others. In Congress as yes. Well, yeah. Tony. Yes, exactly. Tony Gonzalez, uh, but it works. It works in my view. I think it's. I everyone would love to see Dan Crenshaw and Jim Crenshaw jumping out of an airplane and Wesley oh, yeah, in, in, in a plane. And uh, uh, and uh, that I believe 
I believe there was a fire explosion behind, right? When these you guys were walking. Okay, cool. Oh my god. You have to walk away from blowing up behind you. That's kinda that's kinda <laughs> if you didn't... That's, that's like a list thing. I didn't, it wasn't on my bucket list and, and I was like, Oh, that's definitely on my bucket list. <laughs> uh, as we approach uh, our the end of our time the, uh, on this episode uh, I like to do uh, a couple things. First of all, is you know, as you might know, you know, our podcast, Friends and Fellow Citizens, has six major pillars, and those are kind of the six values that I got from the Washington's Farewell Address, seventeen ninety six, which is really very much an undervalued document, and it was a message for the American people, not just for folks in seventeen ninety six, but for folks in twenty twenty one, obviously, and you know, we're looking at values of patriotism, faith, and national unity education, fiscal responsibility, and civility. Which of these values do you think, um, one of them is fine or multiple ones if you like, which of these do you think are most pertinent to today's conversation and uh, some of the things that you've talked about today? We had a woman today qualified. She, she placed third, I believe it was a hammer throw, the Olympic trials. And the, and the, and the national anthem play, she turned around and didn't place her hand over her heart and then do there were the first or second place woman did then she just kind of walked away I'm, I'm clearly going with patriotism here again no matter what's going on in this country no matter what our ills are no matter what we have to work on and god knows there are plenty because we are cursed with being human is a part of the human condition we are inherently flawed if we can't agree that the principles of this country are good and aren't worth standing for side by side with our brothers and sisters, regardless of what we look like. And if we can't work on these imperfections together, then there is no point in having a country. Patriotism is what got us here. Patriotism is what will rule the day later. And in fact, I would argue without patriotism, none of your other pillars can even exist. Because the country will fall apart if we don't believe in unity, if we don't believe in patriotism. My favorite holiday is coming up. Look, I don't even celebrate my birthday. I don't really care. <laughs> the 4th of July is hands down my, my, my favorite holiday. And it's like not even close. My wife thinks it's hilarious. She's like, dude, you don't care about it. Jesus' birthday, 4th of July, Memorial Day. Other than that, I don't really know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. And that's the case for me because people die for our freedom. All kinds of people die for our freedom. We need to honor those people with patriotism. Put your little petty feelings aside for like one minute, stand side by side with us in unity. And then when we do that, then we can accomplish anything. Then we can work together to fix our problems. And then we can all be on the same page if we come from, from, from the understanding that we are all Americans first. Absolutely. Well, since this episode is being released the day after the 4th of July, already I think audience members are going to be wondering what Wesley did on the 4th of July. Um, oh, yeah. So what are your favorite ways to celebrate America? And as a bonus, because, I mean, Wesley, you brought up 4th of July. I know it's getting released the day after. You know, I wish I wish 4th of July was on that Monday uh, next year. Well, um, I, I believe it will be on that on the Monday. But uh, what is uh, who is your favorite founding father? I don't know if anyone's ever asked you on this camp uh, on your campaign or maybe any time. But just yeah, number one, uh, what's Thomas your Jefferson. favorite tradition? Thomas, Thomas Jefferson. 
easy. That's an easy one for me. And then, and then I would say on Fourth of July, we family and I for the last couple of years we get we have dinner with some with some friends, watch fireworks right here in Houston. Um, and I may or may not consume a few adult beverages throughout the day. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe one or two too many. I don't know. <laughs> and we just kind of have a celebration. We grill out. We, we, we basically play patriotic, patriotic music all day. The last couple of years, I was actually in, in a, in a parade in the Memorial Villages. So I love that. Kind of, you know, I feel about that. I love that kind of stuff. I have a Ford F-250. Wife and I get some lawn chairs. Put them in the back of the truck. Somebody else drives us through a parade. I mean, that's that's winning for me 100 percent of the time. Duh. Yeah. Um, but but it's just relaxing and just taking time to remember that on this day, this was this was the birth of the greatest nation to ever exists, and it still is that way. Amen. Well, Wesley, I want to thank you so much for coming on to Friends and Fellow Citizens. You've absolutely you've been a fantastic guest. You've offered so so many amazing insights into the things that. I think I I'm, I fear that America's losing. You know, you mentioned patriotism. I mean, that's I mean, what a what a relevant topic it is, especially around the Fourth of July. But not just the Fourth of July. I hope that you know every single day. I mean, let's keep Fourth of July as a unique day, right? But every single day should be a, a day of patriotism because because this this country is is asking. Asking us, you know, it goes 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 without saying. I mean, JFK said it first, but too there's too much of the asking what our country can do for us, and not enough of uh, asking what we can do for our country. And his words still resonate. Um, and I just want to, I really, really appreciate you, Wesley, for coming on and for sharing your amazing experiences. And as I said, it, it's so great to connect again uh, after our campaign and. I will definitely be tracking you. I've followed you on Instagram, so you know, hint, hint. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I follow you on social media to see what you're up to, and I can't wait to see what's coming up for you because uh, you've you ran um, you ran such a great campaign, and 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 it means also, if I may say, the other reason why I also wanted to join a campaign is also because uh, I went to the Bush School of Government Public Service and George H. W. Bush used to represent that district. So when I, when I kind of, when I saw that your, your campaign and the kinds of things that you're, you're standing for, the values that you stand for, I was like, this, this, this is, this is the man out of all the candidates, you know, the, the thousands of candidates that are running in all, all different parts of this nation. Uh, I wanted to be part of your campaign. Bush school. Yes. Yeah. He's yes. A, he's a dear friend of mine. Really? Wow. I consider him to be a friend. I really do. He honestly represented, and I, I was there um, at his funeral in College Station. It was a beautiful ceremony, and it's so it's very A and M like when he plays the Aggie War hymn. Let me tell you, it's one of the best song. It is one of the yeah, best right. song, greatest songs, military history, and all that. It's just the perfect rhythm, the perfect lyric, uh, perfect lyrics, and uh, it's just a beautiful ceremony. So what I you know, I just want to bring that up because when I think about a campaign, I also think about President Bush a lot. Uh, but um, once again, thank you again. Um, and uh, last question: um, How can people find you and uh, track you on social media? 
and um, and tell us also a little bit about your podcast. Uh, you're, you're, you got. I'm so glad you jumped into the podcast realm like myself. <laughs> this is this is an interesting space, uh, as you probably can tell. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's by yeah, WesleyForTexas.com. Um, we all have Google. So Wesley Hunt Congress. And I tell you what, there's a lot. <laughs> I haven't Googled myself in a very long time. But last time I did, I was like, this is good. wow. Especially after the Rogan, as I did the Rogan's podcast, that was that was that pretty much blew up everything. But uh, yeah, just WesleyForTexas.com. That's my side website. And We'll be up and running here on July the 10th. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Again, Wesley for Texas. And um, should be, it's just, I'm really looking forward to it, man. It's going to be fun and going to learn from some things that we did last time. But there's no losing. There's only learning. So looking forward to the next, looking looking forward to the next phase. Oh, In the Hunt. Yeah, my brother and I are just doing a podcast. It's called In the Hunt. We're on Spotify. Uh, we're on um, iTunes. We're on YouTube. Yeah, we're on all that. And basically, it's my brother and I just talking about the world through the lens of under 40-year-old, you know, black male conservatives that just kind of have a very nuanced take on the way we view things. And I think it's getting some pretty good traction. Wonderful. I'll make sure to link those in the show notes below because I don't want anyone to miss miss out on this. Also include the Joe Rogan interview, by the way. Uh, That was... That was one heck of an episode, and uh, I'll, I'll make sure to include that. But I want to thank you all f- uh, for listening to Friends and Fellow Citizens, listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, again, make sure you subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. I really appreciate all of your support. I hope you had a great 4th of July weekend, and I will see you at the next episode.